Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverEgg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. We are excited to have you along today. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, we're going to timestamp today's episode. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, around 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. Quick rundown of the markets here. A little bit off from last week in the dairy complex. Block cheddar at 189. We're down six cents compared to last week. Barrels, 181, losing three cents on the week. Whey at 26 cents, down a fraction of a cent. Butter, 271, down four cents. And rounding out nonfat dry milk is just under $1.10, up a penny from last week. In the grain complex, new crop December corn at 490 is where we closed. November beans at 1361 a bushel. And finally, soybean meal rounding out at 401.40, up over that technical threshold for $400 a ton. Today, I am grateful to have another all-star cast from the Everag team joining me. We have Tiffany LaMandola. She supports dairy producer risk management from her office in California. Brian Fletcher is joining us. He is a tireless advocate for commercial clients out of our Chicago office. And another Chicagoan, Jim Matthews, a grain market veteran. How is everybody today? We are great in Chicago, but it is hot. 96 degrees and about the same in the humidity side. So uh, we're not going to complain, but yeah, we know, we know that members of the audience here are in much warmer and hotter climates. We understand that, but every once in a while we feel that we could complain. And this is the one week we will choose to do it. We are complaining. All right. With that, let's, let's get onto something a little more positive here and check out the buzz. So Tiffany is not going to complain about her weather today. What's going on out in California? Yeah, I'm not. I'm finally free of that. Um, I think it's my friends in the middle part of the U.S. that are definitely feeling the heat. The coasts are actually quite lovely. We had a warm week last week. I heard, you know, areas in, in the Pacific Northwest, even a few producers suggesting output got hit, but we're, they're back up this week because we're feeling pretty mild temperatures. Of course, we had that hurricane come through Southern California. That was pretty interesting, you know, Sunday into Monday. I would say none of that hit dairy country much, but it did bring our temperatures down and it gave us a little bit of rain to dampen down the dust. Definitely hearing from folks in the Midwest, though, that output could be struggling a bit in areas. As my colleagues pointed out, it's quite toasty. However, when you head over to the Northeast, it's it's also pretty lovely. So we are in these final weeks of summer where we can still talk about weather, but I suspect as the calendar turns to September, it will be less and less of the focus. But let's uh, finish summer out strong complaining about the temperature somewhere, right? Hey, Brian, in the commercial space, are, are folks still complaining about the heat or are there other things to be focused on? Oh, there's plenty of other priorities right now, Erica. But I would say from the last time we talked or we got together, I would say the most notable buzz or uh, variable that's changed is cheese basis around the country has made a pretty notable shift. And to put it into context, I would say four to six weeks ago, at least in the fresh market, cheese basis was quite snug, where a lot of manufacturers didn't have much spot availability. That was really generated by us 
having the ability to export and also milk supply being generally tight. But what we're trying to point out now is over the last, say, week or so, we have made a noticeable shift on cheese basis. Specifically in the Midwest, we have heard more spot cheddar availability coming out of manufacturers. As we've been investigating that, it does sound like there has been a a pretty material pushback in the hard Italian type cheese category back to manufacturers which for some manufacturers, they have the ability to flex out of hard Italian into cheddar. It appears as though that is taking place right now. So that's been buzzing. I I would say along with that is suggesting that more supply is coming to the market. One variable that's still looming is the Southwest United States continues to be very tight. So if we go back to six to eight weeks ago, we we made a, a big run up that really stemmed from some production issues in the Southwest. And it sounds like things are getting closer to normal, but I don't know out of the two variables between Midwest loosening and the Southwest still being tight. You know, At this point, it's hard to say which one of those matters more. But at this point, we would say that the bulls aren't necessarily adding momentum to the run that we had. We, we've seen more product loosen up there. So cheese basis, I would say, has been uh, what we've really been focused on over the last week. So Jim, in the grain side, I've been hearing about this pro farmer crop tour. Can you give us a little update there and how that's playing into the buzz of the grains these days? Yeah, so I would definitely say that that private crop tour is the buzz this week for the grain market. So these these folks are a pretty well-known crop tour throughout the industry. This is their big week to make some headlines and come up with some data that can contrast or compare to what the USDA provides. And they usually do a pretty good job of being transparent with that data and, and do a good job calculating that. And the industry appreciates it. And it gives folks you know something to look for as we wait for harvest here in the U.S. So that's that's definitely much of the buzz. Just to give folks some initial feedback, I mean, these guys are going to start, you know, earlier this week in the, you know, edges of the main crop belt. So they're in the eastern side, they start in Ohio, and the other side, they start up in South Dakota. And then each leg is going to make their way kind of back towards the middle. So we got some of Indiana and Nebraska results yesterday. They'll, they'll run through Iowa and Illinois before this is all said and done. And then, you know, by the end of the week, they'll kind of give us their national yield estimates. Uh, and state by state estimates. So so far, I would say it's a you know somewhat of a mixed result. I think yields do sound like they're not as bad as maybe people were fearing. They're still not necessarily as good as recent averages over the past maybe three to five years. But in terms of the concerns we saw from the drought we faced earlier this summer, perhaps yields aren't as bad. So we, we've seen the markets try and react to this. This of course brings a pretty decent amount of volatility in into the grain and feed markets, just as any weather market does. So earlier this week, we saw a nice surge higher in the corn market, but then we took that risk off. And then perhaps today, people are catching wind of uh, maybe some not as bearish results, perhaps. I've not seen them yet on Wednesday afternoon, but corn market did a very nice job recovering today and was up about 10 cents as we moved into the afternoon. And then the protein side kind of tracking beans also maintaining some strength. So it'll be really interesting to see what these initial yield results are this afternoon and of course then the rest of the week. Yeah, I mean, I know Shelby's been talking about the drought tolerance of these new hybrids and we might just be seeing the the strength of that in these results. 
Oh yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and for those that are listening that have not had a chance to view Shelby's webinar, she did an awesome job. She's got some really great maps and statistics on crops and drought if you go to our website. And that website for folks not familiar with it is insights.ever.ag. That's A-G. So it's definitely been extremely impactful this year with the way we've seen price movement. But like you suggested, Erica, maybe crop hybrids are getting to a point where even with such a dramatically dry and hot June, and now what we're seeing the second half of August, perhaps they can withstand it enough for that corn balance sheet to stay a little bit looser. And maybe for our feed buyers, keep prices a little bit under pressure as we you know head into harvest here. So... With that, great buzz, folks. Let's move into the center of the plate. And on Monday, we got a big report out of USDA in the dairy space on milk production. So I want to start there of, you know, we kind of look in the rear view mirror, get a sense for where that's going to take us through the rest of the summer, and then maybe look a little bit ahead as we look into new crop impacts in 2024. So just a quick rundown of that milk production report. The 50-state milk production for the month of July at 19.1 billion pounds, daily output down five-tenths of a percent. Uh, And interesting, as you look at the regional impact of that, California had the biggest decline down five and a half percent, and the Southwest down 4.4 percent. So, Tiffany, can you share a little bit of reaction, especially since that's your home turf? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's really watching these milk production reports closely. We know producers have been under some significant margin squeeze here for a few months. We have been watching culling rates run pretty heavy. And so that's the question every day. When will milk supplies contract? If they will, how much will they? I would say this report fell pretty well within expectations for the U.S. as a total. That California number was a little bit bigger, though, than maybe anticipated. Keep in mind, we had a really tough year-over-year comparison to beat. In other words, last July's production in California was very strong. So 2% of that was that alone. But beyond that, that's still a pretty big number. Interestingly enough, most of it was on the back of a declining milk per cow figure. We were really only down 2000 head according to USDA. So at least for July, it seemed more seasonal, maybe not necessarily structural. We did have some quite hot temperatures in July. Summer in California, that's pretty normal, but they were up there. And certainly with this you know, squeeze in margins for producers, not a big surprise that there might be some ration changes as folks are just struggling to, f- uh, to pay feed bills here over the last few months. So I think looking forward, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, cooling rates are still up. Margin squeeze hasn't necessarily gone away. Folks just probably got their worst milk check yet here um, with our June finals. And so now looking forward, however, as we would call it, the slope of hope is back on the curve, meaning futures indicate at this point, prices are better out in the future and certainly want to pick Jim's brain, but hopefully grain prices will come down. So it will be all eyes on will this contraction accelerate in the months ahead or will we kind of continue around these half percent declines? Our models right now show August down a little bit heavier than July, but nothing too dramatic, maybe about 1%. Tiffany, that's really interesting. I 
I mean, looking back to, I don't know, over a decade's worth of analyzing these markets, it's hard to, I don't know that I've ever seen a California milk production being down over 5% and then the non-fat and butter market each shrugging that off and pulling back. So it was interesting to see that report come out and the market observe it, look at it. And then over the corresponding days that have happened since then, prices come down. And so it's interesting as we're trying to dive into that, we're also dealing with a international demand variable that it seems to be growing in the bear side of the equation. If we look at two data points that came out this week between GDT Pulse that continued its negative move down with whole milk powder pricing really leading the the sell-off in the global market, and then also Chinese import data that came out this week that conform, you know, kind of confirmed just a negative demand situation that we're seeing. So it, it's one of those things that when we're looking at California being down five and a half percent, a lot of the the products the dairy products that California makes between non-fat dry milk and the demand for those products internationally is is not looking great either. I think, Erica, you might have these numbers off the top of your head, but I, I was looking at whole milk powder year-to-date imports from China, the lowest year-to-date Jan through July since 2016. That's just kind of a mind-blowing number to me right now. And while it might not immediately impact non-fat dry milk, over time it can as New Zealand switches out of that. So I don't mean to rain on this. Generally, we look at lower US milk as a pretty supportive sign. I think that right now what we're really trying to weigh is from an international standpoint, we're seeing demand not look very good. At the same time, we're seeing US supply contract. So on that note of July China imports, whole milk powder year to date is 321,900 metric tons. That's according to the trade data monitor. And I think the important part of that's down 40% compared to 2022 levels and down even further from 2021. So just to reiterate for folks watching, that it's not that China isn't buying. So they are at the table, they are active, but not as active as last year or the high watermark of 2021. Sure. And I, I think within that, Erica, the part that's a little confusing is when we look at some of the other specifics like skim milk powder, for example, they're actually higher. But skim milk powder, the and but that's a much lower category. And then if you were to dive in deeper to that whole milk powder number, I think Kathleen pulled it saying that the last comparable volume Jan through July was 2016. So it's really the contraction in the largest category has been pretty significant there. So as we shift a little bit onto the grain side of things, Jim, as you think about the outlook for grains are, again, clearly we're in still a weather market mode at this point. Every day that goes by, we do get closer to harvest though. That's right. Every day we get closer to harvest, always our favorite and most exciting time of year. It's what we live for here at Everag is that grain harvest. So certainly exciting time, but also a time that generally brings pricing under some pressure, at least at the futures markets, because that's when the supply here in the U.S. is starting to leave the fields, hit the bins, river terminals, you name it. So at, at the moment right now, we, of course, are very you know supply focused in terms of the U.S. balance sheet. 
Once we get through harvest here, we will then start to have very similar conversations to what you guys were having here, especially on the Chinese demand front. They have been fairly quiet on the corn side of things, at least out of the U.S., where they continue to at least step up and secure soybean purchases. And so we're seeing that continued tale of two markets here in the U.S. where it feels like we will have a relatively strong supply and strong production number here in the United States. Of course, we're debating, you know, what that final yield number will be for U.S. corn. But, you know, regardless of what that number is, if the demand side of this thing heading into 2024 remains very weak, that will inherently you know, keep a lid on pricing or at least the ability to to rally these markets up higher. Uh, the protein side's been a little bit different. It's been trying to follow beans, which is a much tighter balance sheet. And so we've seen protein react in the past couple of days, you know, December meal future strengthening back to $400 a ton. So, you know, for those out there that are purchasing these commodities for feed from a seasonal standpoint, you know, we try and, you know, keep in mind that we tend to try and achieve some sort of, you know, harvest low, if you will, sometime through September or October. But we were on a call with Mike North yesterday, who I'm actually subbing in for here at the moment. Mike's the president of our producer division here. And he made a great observation that really in recent memory, we've started to make some of our lows before harvest. So we don't always, it's not always a guarantee to make that harvest low during the actual, you know, time when combines are running here in the States, there's always the chance that we've already achieved those lows. So it's very important for a feed buyer to step in, you know, at existing levels, at least for corn. And if they're open on that new crop feed year, at least maybe consider stepping in now while we do trade somewhere between $4.90, $4.70, and and maybe start to get some of that new crop purchased. And of course, the protein side, if it is going to remain tight, maybe step in if you have not and, and do some of that right now, because we are a little bit concerned with how tight soybeans are here in the States. This very hot and dry you know, second half of August that Brian and I were complaining about to start the show, uh, that's got a bigger impact on beans this time of year. They're still trying to fill those pods and make this crop. Uh, so if they're going to have uh, some serious stress in the key development areas of the Midwest, then you know that's going to harm potential yield production for those guys. And then, of course, limit the availability of their byproducts when we send them to the crushing plants. So very important things to keep in mind as we do wait for those combines to start running here over the next, you know, let's say three to six weeks, depending on where you are in the U.S. All right. With that, let's wrap it up today. A big thank you to Tiffany, Brian, and Jim for joining me today. Great contributions to the buzz in the center of the plate. Certainly appreciate you sharing your insights with our listeners today. Thank you, as always, to our media team for mixing and mastering this production. And thank you to the listeners for joining us today. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite app. And if you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights.ever.ag. At EverAg, we partner with every corner of the agriculture industry, from dairy to livestock, crops, and agribusiness, to deliver intelligent supply chain and risk management solutions. We are EverAg, everything agriculture. Learn more at www.ever.ag/everything.